listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about factors that hold B2B companies back from achieving growth, things that get in their way, and recent research that may shed some light on why this is happening. To help us, we have with us Jonathan Davis-Lewis, contributing writer for Forbes, author of Brand vs. Wild, Building Resilient Brands for Harsh Business Environments, and strategy director at McKee Walwork & Co. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So before we jump into the topic of the day, we'd like to start with a question to provide you know, value and context uh, to our audience at the beginning of the episode, help them understand you a little bit better. So I'm curious, if you look back over your career, can you tell us about a defining moment that you had that taught you a lesson or maybe changed a trajectory of where you thought you were going, kind of what that event was and, and what lesson you took away from it that you continue to refer back to today? Hmm. You know, uh, gosh, Looking back, this this might be something shared by a lot, but um, looking back, there was kind of a two-week period right at the end of 2008, beginning of 2009. I was just a young man in my career, and um, gosh, you know, the, the recession was, was kicking in, and about two-week period, every single day at, at our firm, we were receiving phone calls from, from clients just slashing budgets, um, killing campaigns pulling um everything back and it was pretty terrifying i mean uh, everybody remembers um kind of across the world it was, it was terrifying but just seeing it in action and of course all of those decisions had enormous ramifications on our business that really made and molded me um in my career and the subsequent years of really uh trying to survive in my own company uh really trying to uh, being forced to work with less, uh, be more fruitful with less, be far more creative uh, with less resources. I, I think that kind of stuck in my brain. It's in my bones now. And that's part of what has led to the book and to this research um, and really to the niche for my entire company. Well, and you see it as you see it, not just, I mean, I remember that time as well. That was a scary time. I was in services uh, business at the time too, and we experienced something very similar. Um, and, and then you see, I'm wondering though, just out of curiosity and, and just so the audience knows I'm going completely off script here, which happens. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, we look out and you see like the, uh, these movements and, I don't, and maybe that's not the right word for them, but all these people that are, you know, doing tiny houses or living with less or, you know, condensing and really getting back to the heart of what, uh, you know, what is important as Simon Sinek would say there, why, what are they doing and, and things like that. And I've often often wondered if that recession uh, hit us all at an extremely vulnerable point and kind of gave birth to these types of movements. Uh, it sounds like that might be, you know, part of part of the you know impact in your case. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, just going going even farther back, you know, thinking about the different impacts that the, the um, depression had on that generation and kind of the the recovery after World War Two and, and the vibrance of culture um, and safety and luxury um, that had on that generation. I mean, I think every generation has sort of their marker. And when you think of um, everybody who was going through that time, especially if they're a little bit earlier in their career, um, 
it, rather than having some context and, you know, seeing that there are highs and lows and knowing there were good times and there are bad times, if you're earlier in your career, I mean, you, that's, that's all you know. You haven't known any different. And so it, it, you, you see the surprising stats. Millennials tend to be a little more conservative um, in their lifestyles than previous generations. You know, they're, they're less, um, less drinking, less uh, substance abuse, less uh, a variety of things. And I think you're starting. You're seeing that in um, their decision making in business and in lifestyle as well. It's it's pretty incredible to think, you know, when you think of the sharing economy and the renting economy, uh, where they're we're all sort of moving away from owning anything. Um, that's just a that's just risk aversion. You, you don't if you don't own anything, you can't lose anything. <laughs> uh, so it's a pretty fascinating study. We're living through it, but I think others are going to look back and make a lot of interesting conclusions. Oh yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So let's, uh, let's do the obligatory. Let's give the audience the contents kind of on, uh, McKee wall work and co and what you guys do and your role there. Yeah. Well, McKee wall working company, we just celebrated 21 years and we specialize in turning around stalled, stuck and stale brands. Um, and this, this kind of came from our own, uh, period of wandering the wilderness. Not only <laughs> did, we, did we survive 2008, 2009, but, uh, we actually made the Inc. 500 list about 10 years ago, and as soon as we made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies list, uh, our own sales went backwards, and then we had about 94% turnover. Whoa. Um, we, had, we had no idea. I mean, you, you, you've been in the services um, field. You know that in professional services, you know, your people are everything. So it was a really, really difficult time, but through that, we actually got the contact information for the last 20 years worth of Inc. 500 fastest growing companies. And we just reached out to them and did our first national study to try to understand, you know, why are some companies achieving sustainable growth and why are others hitting these headwinds and going backwards? That led to our niche of working with these stall, suck, and stall brands. And so that's what we do now. And, and I've, I'm an owner um, here at the company, um, and I really specialize in, in strategy, business strategy, marketing strategy. And gosh, I mean, going back to our previous conversation, it, uh, strategy has um, markedly changed since the recession and with the growing disruption in the industries and in the economy, really, um, everything just seems to be different now. And that's what we're grappling with and we're trying to get our arms around. Yeah, and strategy is a loaded word. I mean, when I was uh, back before I, this phase of my career where I started working on with sales organizations, I would run sales and marketing organizations for large digital agencies. And mm -hmm. so that strategy word, I've watched it kind of go through an evolution. I mean, when I started selling, uh, I'm, this is probably too old. I shouldn't be putting this out there, but 12 <laughs> years ago when I started selling, you know, those types of services and you would say strategy to a C-level uh, executive or to a, a top salesperson or marketing person, it meant something completely different uh, than it does today. I mean, today it seems to take on more of that, you know, help me make sense of, of what this mess is that we're mm -hmm. seeing, right? Like the constant influx of digital uh, data influences uh, products, what is this doing to the way human beings interact? Help me understand what that means for my business and the strategy around it. Is that uh, kind of a fair assessment from your perspective as well? Absolutely. You know, I, I guess the word of our time is really this this kind of mass disorientation. I, mean, Ooh, I like that. I'm going to steal it. I'll, I'll attribute it, but I'm going to steal that. <laughs> you, you don't even have to. You don't even have to do that. It's yours. <laughs> uh, but no, no I, there's so much information, so much change. There's so much going on that none of us know what's going on. I mean, it's, it's disorienting, uh, which through our, through our research that went into my book, which is a different topic, 
we've learned kind of just shuts us down. Most of us kind of try to hide, try to put our head down. Um, it's very natural. It's, 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 it's really a physiological response. And in that, it's not so much about five or 10 year plans anymore. I mean, it's really, number one, what in the world's going on today? And then how do we make some shorter term progress um, as we, we expect things to change in six months to a year, but we have to get from here to there. And so, you know, the, the principles are, of course, the same um, in terms of high level strategy, but, but the execution has changed wildly uh, from, you know, previous generations and how we've employed it. Yeah, without a doubt. So, all right. So, we, I, I totally, I know, I totally went off script with some of that. So, let's let's bring it back. You mentioned the book came out last. I think it was you said last May. Yeah. 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 So, it came out last May, and you guys have been doing some more research. So, I don't want to, I don't want to take away from the book. So, if you guys haven't read it or haven't grabbed it, Brand versus Wild, highly recommend you pick up a copy. But there's some new research. It sounds like that you guys have been doing that just kind of came out Q1 of this year, maybe. Uh, and so I'd love to know more about that. So help us help us understand kind of what was the context around the research, what was the goal for doing it, and and how did you execute it before we get into kind of the results? Yeah, well, uh, we've been conducting research ongoing for the last uh, about 12, 15 years. And um, what we've learned over, over that period is that when you boil it all down, uh, there are about seven factors, seven key things that affect growth in businesses. And three of those things are external. They're things we can't control, but of course they impact us. So the economy, of course, uh, competition, just technological disruption, all of those things will impact our growth. What really got us excited and kind of set our company down this trajectory of, of working with Stalt, Stuck, and Stell Brands is four of the seven factors that affect growth are internal. They're inside of our organizations. They're things like a lack of alignment among leadership is highly correlated with growth problems, a lack of focus in the marketplace, a loss of nerve. You can't be bold if you don't have courage. And then finally, inconsistency. Those are the things that are within our control and are highly correlated with growth problems. So the latest round that we just conducted and uh, finished in Q1, we wanted to translate this and really look at how how are um, organizations within the B2B sector struggling, dealing with change, and kind of finding ways to succeed. And so we've learned a lot um, from that research and how those four internal factors are kind of revealing themselves in B2B organizations today. And so how do you go, how do, when you do the research, how do you go about just out of curiosity, how do you go about executing it? So we have, we have some standard questions now that from our methodology we've developed, um, that we're tracking over time, but we're also looking at, at new things as they're evolving. So we went out and talked to 150 C-suite decision makers, um, within organizations. So it, it includes marketing decision makers, but also includes CFOs, CEOs, those sort of things. And we ask them a set number of questions. Um, to, to really identify where are they in their growth cycle? Are you, are you kind of up and coming? Are things healthy? Are you, are you commoditized? Are you unhealthy? And then we want to look at how are those four internal factors uh, kind of rearing their ugly heads within those organizations. Excellent. So what types of findings did you come across that surprised you? Things that, things that um, you weren't expecting or maybe with this recent round kind of piqued your interest? You know, um, I guess I wasn't surprised to see that uh, nearly 70% of B2B organizations right now are are doing pretty well. They're healthy. They're growing. They're optimistic. Uh, I guess what surprised me is, is almost 30% uh, 
um, are displaying some real signs of fear, trepidation, and a feeling that they just don't have the right business model, um, which is translating to really um, unhealthy activity inside the company. So we're seeing things like if companies con- consider themselves commoditized, 43% of them um, agree that work is harming their personal relationships. And this is where we're seeing that you know work, work is personal, business is personal, and when things are going wrong at work, they really you bring that home with you. I also was fascinated to see that 50% of these companies who are, who are experiencing slowed growth, they think they need a new business model. I mean, that's fundamental. It's not that, oh, growth is slowing, we need a new marketing campaign, we need a new sales strategy. No, no, they think they need a new business model. I mean, it doesn't get more fundamental. Than I mean, that's that. a seismic shift. I mean, for an organization to all of a sudden say, okay, the way we've been doing business, let's throw it out the window and start over. It is. I mean, it goes to the core of everything and how you operate as a business. And that's probably going to what you were mentioning earlier. That's how strategy has changed so much. I mean, I don't walk into a a company now and say, okay, what's your your marketing objective? I say, is your product even relevant to the current marketplace? These are fundamental questions. But I I think the, the most positive thing we've learned from our recent research is that there are really truly early warning signals that, that you can look for, that you can identify to help yourself avoid commoditization. And that's where I get excited because it, there is hope. There are ways to navigate this uncertainty. And that's what I try to teach my clients. So what we've learned is things like um, if you think your company is lost, um, if you're more opportunistic than strategic, or even if you feel like you and your leadership team are overthinking things, these are all top responses from organizations that are near commoditization but not quite there yet. So if you can identify some of these bad habits that are beginning to creep up, usually when growth is slowing, you're not quite commoditized yet, but you're, not, you're coming off your peak, um, you can begin to intervene and get back to growth, get back to internal health, the very things that will help you be successful as you're dealing with change. And so when you look at these things, are there, are there ways or things that you help, you know, provide guidance you provide to these executives to help them navigate this disruption to navigate this? I mean, those sound like fear responses, right? If you're opportunistic yeah. versus strategic and, and, and are think you feel like you're lost. I mean, those are very emotional types of reactions, uh, to disruptive situations or markets. How do you help them navigate that disruption? Well, the first thing we all have to recognize is that um, in many ways, through all this research we've conducted and including the research that led to the book, one of the key findings here was uh, it's not so much the external factors. Everybody is dealing with automation. Everybody's dealing with artificial intelligence, et cetera. We're all in the same playing field there. What really truly separates those that can succeed and change and, and disrupt themselves and become relevant again and those that can't is the internal dynamics. So the first thing we recommend, um, and any Boy Scout will tell you this, any survivalist will tell you this, <laughs> if you're lost, if, if you feel disoriented and you're beginning to, to act out of fear, you need to stop. S-T-O-P. Stop, think, observe, plan. And it's because you hit it right on the head. You become emotional. When things start going the wrong direction, you kind of you, you lose your logical reasoning um, activity in your brain, you move to the, the emotional side of your brain, and you begin to make 
short-term, often poor decisions. You have to stop. And once you stop, that's when you need to orient yourself to your surroundings. I mean, in, the, in a wilderness scenario, uh, you, you need to sit down, literally. You need to look around. You need to, you know, can you hear a stream in the distance? Is there a mountain in the distance? Did, did you bring supplies, you know? And in the business context, it's similar. I mean, it's, uh, what do we have to work with? Yeah, maybe some things aren't going well, but we do have some strengths left in this marketplace, some opportunities. You need to orient yourself to what truly is going on. And once you have the truth, then you can get to work and you you know how you get to work has changed from kind of these long-term planning cycles to to short-term testing etc but first first things first recognize that you're probably going to make the wrong decisions out of emotion and stop <laughs> just stop well i mean in the ability to do that right to be to be completely honest with oneself do you think that's easier for say smaller b2b companies versus uh, I don't want to set a threshold. Like I don't want to set a size or a dollar threshold, but I think of like smaller organizations, startups or boutique shops or things like that, that ability to stop uh, and, and truly be honest with oneself about what's going on uh, is challenging. One, I think in smaller, in smaller organizations, because everything's on your shoulders, right? You're the one that has to do it. So that ability is, is a bit challenging there. And then when you get into larger organizations, it's not that honesty is not difficult because it's all on your shoulders, but because so many people are depending on you or you're going to impact so many people or so many people have to be involved in the decision-making process. How do you, how do you suggest, you know, what would be like the top two, two things you would suggest to organizations to really get to that point where they can truly stop and be honest with themselves? You know, there's a couple of, um, a couple of principles that we really believe in and employ for our, our own clients that we actually um, have borrowed from Patrick Lencioni. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff, but great speaker, great author. Um, he, one of my favorite business books that he wrote um, is Getting Naked, and, and he has these two concepts. Uh, first, every organization, especially when they're at these critical moments, they have to be willing to enter the danger. And we've all been in those meetings where you know we're talking in circles. Everybody or several people know what's really going on, but nobody's really willing to say it. <laughs> um, I've been in those meetings. <laughs> you know, you have to be willing to enter the danger. Look them in the eye, face the truth. But that's not enough. You really need the second concept, and that's enter the danger with the kind truth. Truth isn't enough because you can go in there and, and wreck house, and you'll turn people off and kind of scare them. But kindness isn't enough either because it's impotent without the truth. So if you're willing to enter the danger with the kind truth, um, you'd be amazed at what companies and teams and people are able to get through. It's incredible when you look at survival stories and look at case studies. We're really capable of, of almost anything if we're willing to do it with honesty, with humility, and to really operate as a team. I would say the biggest difference between big and small in terms of, of how the B2B organizations react and act isn't so much in their willingness to be honest. I have found most people aren't willing to be honest with themselves or even incapable of sort of seeing the truth of the situation because, because they're so close. It usually takes external circumstances to humble us to the point where we actually take a step back and, and look at the reality of the situation. The biggest difference I see in the, in the biggest and smallest organizations are their ability, once they've been humbled, to then cope. The smaller organizations often can move quicker. They don't have as much at, at, at risk. 
Um, the bigger organizations, obviously, the logistics of making substantial changes is just bigger and, and harder to execute. So they tend to be slower and sometimes more risk averse. Well, and I think that may be a contributing factor to why we see all the stats on all of those failed quote unquote change initiatives, right? For, it sounds like having, having been a part of them that have failed and succeeded and worked with clients where, and some will, you know, they'll change the label. Maybe it's digital transformation, organizational transformation, whatever it is, it's something transformation, right? They've all got a modifier, but at the, at the end of the day, the ability to do that requires doing it from a place like you just talked about where you have really accepted the truth. You have been humbled and it is it is coming back in a way that is uh, leveraging those lessons, right, to make the positive changes, not just for yourself, but for your teams, your organization, and hopefully into the market. Yeah, and, and this is something we argue about a lot is this question that, is it possible for an organization to disrupt themselves? We all talk about it. We all pretend like it's possible. But really, truly, when you look at the case studies and the research, is it possible from within to disrupt yourself. And and so far, I have found very few examples where it's been, uh, you know, something that grew from within. It's usually required some external force of some kind forcing the issue. No, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly from my experience. I don't, I, in fact... I mean, I, we're so far off script, but this is awesome. It's, this is what the this, this is the beauty of the podcast. But as we're as I think about it, I can't in a twenty plus year career. I'm not sure I could tell you one company that I've worked with or encountered where the disruption was internal, where it was where it was a, a decision. It typically is much more reactive. And I'm curious why do you why do you think that is? Why do you think is it perspective? Is it I can't see the forest for the trees? Is it fear based response? All of the above? I mean I'm kind of from your perspective and experience, I'd love to know kind of what you're seeing in that regard. Uh, well hundred percent it's it has to do with perspective. I mean that's fundamentally the reason there's still consultants out there. <laughs> You know, there you can bring a lot of stuff in in house, but you just can't bring perspective in house. It's it's literally that's the point of perspective is to step outside of yourself and see yourself honestly. So I really truly think that's a big part of it. But also, it's just it's so easy when when revenues go in the right direction, when profits go in the right direction, it's so easy to say, you know what, that person's a headache, or you know maybe that strategy's not quite right, but whatever, we're making money. Uh, I got other things to worry about. It's when things go poorly that things come to a head. You have to face reality. And I just I think there's not the self-motivation or it's, or at least it's just so rare. Um, you know, often I think you have to you find it in companies with sort of dictators as, as leaders, <laughs> uh, yeah, like Steve Jobs and others. Um, and that that's where perhaps you can do it within because – you have some visionary who's a, who's scary to work with, and he's gonna or she's gonna just force it through. But by and large, it, it just doesn't work that way. And, and what happens is things, unhealthy habits, unhealthy practices, unhealthy relationships, they go on too long, too far, and then something bad happens, and you just hope it hasn't gone too far where you you can't turn it around. Um, and and what we're finding in this research is the the what I'm finding so excited is you can find early warning signals. You can, t- you can literally take a test. We have a survey based on these three national studies we've conducted. Um, they're early warning signals. And if you find those in your organization, that itself may be that external impetus to do something about it. 
Um, because without it, I, I don't know what to do except for hope for the best when things go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Cross your fingers, kiss your ass <laughs> goodbye. <Yeah. laughs> so if somebody wanted to get a hold of that survey, where, where, how would they go about that? Reach out to you or to, to the company? We have, well, the, the, the simple version is on our homepage, McKeeWalwick.com. Um, you know, it's a simple free survey, 20 questions. And they're, they're the 20 most predictive questions from our three rounds of national research that are tied to the internal factors. And we, we kind of look at how healthy or unhealthy you are in these four internal factors. We're currently, based on this new round of research, putting together a more sophisticated, deeper um, uh, re, uh, sorry, survey that's based on the larger questions so that companies can actually kind of diagnose themselves and find out where they are in the growth life cycle, find out how many of these internal factors they're dealing with. And what we're seeing is if you find yourself um, you know, getting close to commoditization, but not quite there, um, then here, you know, here are five things you can do to avoid that scenario, um, and get back to health. Excellent. All right. So let's change direction just a little bit here. I ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. First is simply as a founder of a company that makes you in sales parlance, a prospect or, or target, <laughs> which sounds a little rougher, but um, I, I always like to ask our guests, when somebody wants to get in front of you that you don't have a relationship with, they don't, they don't have a referral, right? They literally are trying to capture your attention, build credibility, and, and get you to give them 15 to 30 minutes of time. What's the most effective way for them to do that? Oh, man. Well, I'm sure you've, you experience this every day. I'm inundated uh, with emails and phone calls trying to sell stuff to me or, or to the company, um, it's really difficult. I, I would say it's not, it's not ineffective. There are times where I take the call or I read the email. Uh, it's fairly rare. But the biggest thing to me is relevance because I can't tell you how much I receive that really is irrelevant. Right. Um, <laughs> somehow I'm on the list because I'm, I'm breathing and I'm a company uh, rather than, you know, there's a, there's a specific need in my category specific to my company that clearly is hyper relevant. So relevance is everything. If there's, if, if there's an email, you know, it's not just about here's this new product. Give me something, give me some insight, give me something that's going to help me. That's relevant to my problem, which unfortunately means you have to do some work. You have to learn about me. <laughs> you know, you have to find out what's relevant to uh, <laughs> people in my industry, you know? So re relevance is everything to me because uh, there are times I call Google or reply to emails um, or phone calls, but it, it has to be relevant. Excellent. And relevance is everything. It doesn't take a lot of time for those of you out there. We've talked about this a hundred times on this, on this podcast. If you're not going to do your homework, if you're not going to show your prospect or the person you want to talk to the respect of having done a little bit of homework and attempt to, to nail down that relevance, uh, your success rate is going to go through the floor. And quite frankly, you're going to just annoy people. Uh, and I am one of those people that you're annoying. Uh, I, now, because it's my job, I happen to respond and say, Hey, this is how you could have done this better. And no, I still don't want the meeting. Um, but <laughs> that's part of the fun that I get to have. So, all right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, one piece of advice that if they listened, you believe would help them hit their targets and be more successful, what would it be and why? Oh gosh. Uh, it's gotta be empathy. Listen, uh, we're so focused on selling. We're, we're so focused on hitting numbers. 
Um, and there's so many more numbers around us to look at and measure. We, it's so easy to forget to listen and have a little bit of empathy. Um, and, and in my experience, that itself has gotten me and, and, and uh, people I know so much farther. Excellent. Jonathan, best way for people to reach out to you and connect if they want to talk more about the topics, learn about the book, the research, the survey. Uh, what's the best way to, to reach out to you and uh, follow up on this show? You can find everything about me, my company, the survey, and my book on uh, our website, McKeeWalwork.com. Of course, Brand vs. Wild is available on Amazon as well. Excellent. Perfect. Thank you, Jonathan, very much for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, likewise. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. You know the drill. Hit us up at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, and coworkers. Uh, Drop us a line. Let us know who else you'd like to have on the show so we can interview them and provide you value at every step. Until next time, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.